Hey, movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 69, my dudes. Um, <laughs> now, last week we did our favorite movie duos. This week we go with our favorite TV duos, which is fitting because we had quite a bit of TV this past weekend with the Super Bowl. Uh, Josh, did you have a chance to watch the Super Bowl? <laughs> I did not. Um, I was working a show, actually. So I've, well, I've been go? very, very... Uh, it, my match went fine. <laughs> ah, say no more. Yes. That was uh, one of those like, hi, yes, I accept my payment. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to go home now. <laughs> hot dog it's and handshake. It's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good... It's a consistent place to work and like I always work with the guys I know so it's it's always a lot of fun and the, it's a lucha crowd so they're all they're all here it's like do you do you know what I mean when I say a lucha crowd yeah like okay. is, is it kind of like the same crowds that you would get for a California show yeah basically so they're they're all they're all they're all they all know what's going on but they're all they're all really into it awesome uh, so, how you doing tonight I'm I'm awake and alive. I've been a lot of water, and you know I'm chilling. We're ready to talk about some movie stuff because a lot of cool stuff dropped. We, um, yeah, we're loaded oh, this week. Not just in terms we, of stuff for the discussion, but also just news topics. Like there's, I was, a we almost had to cut some stuff out, but I'm that's oh, not what the show's so, about. Yeah, um, I did see. I know I texted you earlier in the week about seeing uh, Zombie Zombie Land Two Double Tap. Yes. Which was, pristine um i think you and i both were in agreement that like it's weird it's a weird thing because i like the second one better but it wouldn't be as good if you didn't have the first one it builds on the first one well it very well and i, I love the little tidbit in the trait in the in the credits at the end yes made, so heather has not seen it so let's not say what yep. the end credits are but yes it is close to one of my favorite end credits ever um, yes. Oh, absolutely. I, um, I like that the, the characters are but aren't in the same spot we left them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. The, like they definitely grown as individuals. They have, and it, it's very interesting to watch. Um, have you heard? I'm sure you have. Um, a movie with Brad Pitt called I think it's pronounced Ad Astra. Ad Astra. Ad Astra. Sorry, I'm I'm not good with names. So, but yes, have, did you ever get a chance to watch it? I did not hear great things about it, so I kind of stayed away. Yeah, so I just I watched that this afternoon, <laughs> and, and it, it was okay. I, mean, I heard more than anything; it was just kind of very dry and a little dull. Here's the thing: the it's it's a space movie, and it <sighs> you you're allowed to have dull space tries, movies. We saw Apollo eighteen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, and I think the things that I liked about it are what peop some people wouldn't like about it, which is that it's very based in if, you know, with our current technology, we were able to go from planet to planet or whatever. So it's not like, let's go to hyperspeed. That's, you know, it's, it's a lot of like, okay, well, it's going to take a few months to get there kind of thing. So it's not really aliens. It's not real. Like, interstellar kind of stuff it's a guy who's it, it, it it's at its core an emotional story about a son dealing with the fact that his father left and didn't care 
So it's it's really it's it's not about space. It just happens to be in, involved in space. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. And I don't know if you said it last week or not, but you told me you saw Marriage Story. Yes. Oh my goodness. Um, first of all, as someone who I mean, I like rom coms. Um, I wouldn't even like consider rom com because there's like, not that here, much here, comedy to it or romance, here, honestly. Here, yeah, hear me out. As someone who doesn't like, I'm not a huge fan of chick flicks. I grew up watching them because, you know, my mom was the only woman in the family of, of you know, of five boys and her husband. So six boys. Um, and Don't you forget. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so like movie nights were always like, all right, mom, what do you want to watch? Because <laughs> you watch our nonsense all the time. So like those are the, those were always the times I saw chick flicks and you know like rom coms. Um, but this, like you said, does not feel that way. And it, it, I think you and I talked about it briefly. And it, it just feels like you're watching someone else's story play out in front of you that eventually somehow emotionally becomes your, your story as well. It is uncomfortably realistic of, it, it doesn't is. feel like a movie. It just feels like a camera's following around true events. It is. And Adam driver is, I mean, the whole cast is incredible, but Adam yeah, is, if Adam doesn't amazing. win and I don't think he might just cause this is probably Joaquin Phoenix's year for best actor. Adam driver is going to win best actor within the next three years. Easily, which is says a lot because of how young he is. He is crazy good in marriage story. If anybody like, if you haven't seen marriage story yet, I would just so encourage you to watch it. There's, there's a the thing I think I liked about it the most was the subtlety. Yes. Just like some the, the director wasn't afraid to do a shot and just let it be there. Like I don't I don't know how else to say it because without saying any certain scenes, but I think you know, like I I discussed a scene with you specifically that like they could have easily had music playing over it, or they could have had like some kind of inner dialogue play, or but they just let the scene happen and just and that's it. But then you feel the emotion because there's nothing else distracting you from what's actually happening. Yep. And I remember telling you, I think the thing that I liked about it the most was the ending of feeling yes. one of the most human endings possible. Like with a movie like about divorce, it's obviously not going to have the happiest of endings. But for what the movie's trying to tell you, for what the movie's about, it gives you the happiest ending it possibly can give you. Yes, it was. It, a it's it's satisfying ending. I thought. Yeah, it's it's one of those like okay, this stuff has happened. We can't go back to the way that it was. Yeah, Pandora's box has been opened. Anymore. We can't close it again, but we can live with the consequences. Exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> out of <laughs> out of sheer curiosity, I don't know if you've seen it on Netflix, but there's a there's a Doom movie on Netflix. <laughs> There's a what? There is a Doom movie. Doom Annihilation? Yes. Tell me you didn't. I watched it. Oh my goodness, this movie is terrible. They can't all be winners. You told me to see Hellboy. Uh, true. But um, it's hard to be worse than the 90s Doom. Oh no. And it's worse. 
and it's oh, not even no. because it's not like it's very well shot it's very the cgi is very is okay the costuming is okay but the characters are not likable <laughs> like nothing is going for it at all it's not good oh man it was one of those it's one of those movies that you start to watch and then just kind of start making fun of as you watch it i'm not gonna lie i also sat through a very unfortunate film not too long ago i won't say the movie's bad but i will give the movie the distinction that i don't normally give and i actually had to think about this of this movie would be a thousand times better if it didn't have the single most boring unemotionally connective, like, I can't connect with this main character at all because he's just that bland of an actor, a movie called 21. What? That sounds familiar. Who, who's it is the lead about, actor? Uh, it's based on a true story of Kevin Spacey plays this college professor at MIT who um, basically recruits a whole bunch of his genius students to count cards at casinos. Oh, yes, yes. I've heard it's been... Oh, man, that's, that's you know, that bit, that's been out a while but yeah. yeah it was on netflix um the movie itself was really really good kind of like a discount oceans 11 the problem is the main actor named uh jim sterling who was the main guy from across the universe and nothing else was so bland and uninteresting like so vanilla that i just could not mm. get behind him i feel that and, and not I, like I, a, unfortunately... I hate you like a scott pilgrim versus the world type character you know my feelings on that um but more just yeah. like a you are you are Plank from Ed and Eddie. I feel nothing. Yeah, I feel I feel more for Plank than I, I would for him. Then um, Plank, Plank, you yeah, okay. build emotion too. Yes. Well, look at us looking, look, watching movies and watch. Are you watching any TV shows right now? Uh, I'm two episodes into The Witcher. I like it. I just haven't gotten around to finishing it yet. Fair enough. Um, I think in the coming weeks, after a couple more paychecks, I might get Shudder and see what they've got. Oh, okay, okay. Which I've heard good things about Shudder. Shudder is uh, the net is like the horror equivalent of Netflix. Basically, it's like six bucks a month or something, and it's all like horror titles. And they've got some good original stuff too, as well as old horror stuff. Um, I know you're good about this, but I am not. Um, watch Wish for all the way through. Just even, oh, yeah. even if there's some, it's some just stuff. a matter of finding the time. Even for if it. there's some things, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've I've met, I've seen talk to some people about it, and they're like, "Oh, there was something I didn't like, so I stopped watching it." I was like, "Okay," like because there was there's there was a little bit of time there that I was trying to put certain events together in my head, but eventually it all comes together. So I'm like, "Okay, cool." No, um, I like the I'm, two episodes that I've seen so far. It's just carving out the time to watch it. Yeah, because they're not short episodes at all. Oh, no, not at all. Which is not good, unlike I, I like Super Bowl commercials. No, no, not at all. Which is kind of weird because we had an odd mix. We had like 30-second commercials, and then we had a commercial that told you to go online for a bigger commercial. With the Mulan which trailer, weird. which is just super weird to me. Even though the Mulan trailer the was incredible. Yes. That being said, I get why Disney was just like, okay, we can either spend $5 million on a 30-second spot or four times as much on a two-minute spot. Yeah, which I get that. 
But yeah, let's open with that Mulan trailer because this is supposedly the final trailer. Now, I have some thoughts about the movie as a whole that I'll talk about at the end of this. Um, Let's just say I don't think this is the final trailer and real-world events may have shifted this movie a little bit, but I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, I can see that. I loved this trailer. It does, but doesn't feel like Mulan. It Yeah. Um, like it feels like an epic in all senses of the word. I would agree. And, you know, I was already hyped for this movie and the trailer on its own is incredible. Um, upon second viewing, I started seeing, you know, oh my, my little Kung Fu movie, uh, cliches. There's a time where she kicks an arrow. Yes. She does while mounting a horse. Oh dude. I popped so hard for it. I was like, yes, let's go. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, but I agree. Like, I, it feels like an epic. And whatever song's playing in that trailer, I, I couldn't quite place it. It sounds familiar, but it doesn't sound like something from the from the animated film, but it feels like something new. I, I don't know. But, like, the score is so far that I've been very impressed with. My only complaint with this, like, the full trailer that we got online was – uh, they have an extended shot of them like training. And I kind of was hoping that like in the first trailer, we got the instrumental version of reflections. I was hoping we get an instrumental version of I'll make a man out of you, but I Fair think enough. they'll make us wait until the movie actually comes out to see it in theaters. Cause I, they know how much we want to see that or at least how much yeah, I want to exactly. see that. I would agree. Um, what I, I think the only thing I'm still unsure about, even though I love the aspect of it, is the witch. See, I'm not actually concerned about it. My biggest concern is the actress playing Mulan. Will she have the acting chops? Because so far in all the trailers, everyone else seems strong except for her. Fair. Although in the trailer, they are keeping all of her emotional moments um, out of the trailer. Yes. Um, one moment that I really liked was um, when they realized she's gone. And she's like, the um, invaders will kill her. Our people will kill her if they find out who she is. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's which some is nice something that touches. was, yeah, it, which is not something that wasn't said in the original animated film, but it is, it's, I didn't feel like it needed to be said. But at the same time, her dad saying it, has a lot more weight than just letting the audience figure it out. Also, maybe it's just because I haven't seen the original Mulan in a while, but I like the added element that her dad used to be a war hero, not just a soldier, but an actual war hero, which adds the pressure of, okay, you used to be somebody. Now you have to come back and fight. Well, he can't anymore. Now his daughter has a reputation to live up to. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Now, uh, I said it earlier I would not be surprised if this ends up not being the final trailer, even though they're saying it is, because I would not be surprised in the slightest if this movie gets pushed back a few months due to some real world real world circumstances. So what I mean by that is this movie's supposed to come out March 27th, uh, worldwide that same day, which is uh, about two months away, give or take. The problem is this film is a big part of its push and it's like 
for lack of a better term, gimmick for what's going to do well at the box office is the international market, specifically the Chinese market, which right now we don't like to talk about real world politics and real world situations too much in the movie bubble. But this is one of those times that it bleeds into it uh, with the coronavirus in China and everyone's more or less in lockdown. They've shut down movie theaters and a lot of extracurricular activities that people for their own safety can't go to the box office. And that's actually has already started to take effect in um, for other movies in the box office. So I could see Disney seeing, okay, if they have not lifted the ban yet by the end of March, maybe we push this back just. Yeah. And there's no shame in that. It's not like we're ashamed of this movie. We need to push it back or whatever. It's a, we want, if you want to capitalize on profits, you may want to push this back till when your prime demographic can actually see it and are safe to see it. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think the only concern I can see with that is uh, Americans being like, oh, you're just doing it for the profits kind of thing, which they are. But at the same time, like this movie is outside of just being a quote unquote Disney remake is really a triumph of Asian cinema. So exactly. it's like you would, and I want, think, you would want that celebration to be with the Asian market. And I think as much as we movie fans can, um, we American fans can be like, we want it this way. I feel like if Disney came out and explained the reasoning of, hey, we want our Chinese brethren to be able to see this at the same time as everyone else and make sure we they are able to safely see it, I think Americans would understand that and respect yeah. that decision. I mean, I would hope so, at least. Yeah, if anything, it might give Disney some good brownie points that they've been rapidly losing with all their Star Wars deals. Yes. Um, I want to save the Marvel one for last because, obviously, there's a bunch of stuff to talk about there. Um, yes. We got a Minions 2 trailer. I don't care yeah. in the slightest. Yeah, you can do the excitement. I've seen this. bits and pieces of that first Minions movie, and I'm... I'm... The problem is the Min- the Despicable Me franchise is like an accelerated version of the Lego franchise of that first one was something so clever and original. And then the more they came out with, the more it diluted the franchise. Yeah. The set. Did you ever see the second Despicable Me? Yeah, the second Me? one's not bad. I don't mind it. I enjoy the crap out of it. I think the humor is a little, a little bit more adult than it, than it is in the first one. Yeah. I don't think it's nearly as good as the first one, but. Maybe it's just because we go to Universal all the time or there's now, this will be the fifth film in the franchise. I'm kind of getting a little burnt out by Despicable Me. Yeah, I mean, I was done with Minions almost the second, by the second movie. Just as characters, I don't think you can, there's a lot you can do. There's still a lot of gas left in the tank, I think, box office-wise for the characters. So I think it helps that they'll have Gru this time around. That was one of the big things that was missing from the first Minions movie. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. You want to talk Fast and Furious? I mean, it looks cool. I don't have enough knowledge and history with this with the series to know how big of a deal it is that How's coming back. And but I mean, I like the idea that um, John is Dom's brother. Which um, somebody posted on Facebook, so I immediately had to comment of. They're just like, I can't really buy John Cena as Vin Diesel's brother. And I was like, well, I can because they both hate The Rock and have struggles with acting. Oh. <laughs> and both of them are much better voice actors. 
Yes. Um, um, I will I'd, say I'm not digging Cena here. I normally I can. I don't think he's seen as a great actor, but he's at least entertaining. He looks so much like a fish out of water in this to me. Maybe it's just because he looks like a rejected Jersey Shore character, but it's it's the hair for it, me. The hair that. really does take me out of it. The hair looks terrible. It, yeah, it's it's weird. It, but I don't also, know. this is almost right off the bat. It's like, oh, so he's the bad guy this time. I don't think Cena's got what it takes to play bad guy because even when he played quote unquote bad guy in Bumblebee, he was still a good guy. Yeah. It just, uh, I don't know. It doesn't really do it for me. And then they had a trailer, like an actual full length trailer, um, a couple of days before the Super Bowl spot that I actually was 50 50 on. I actually really liked the first half when they're talking to that kid that, again, I know nothing about Fast and Furious. I don't know if that's actually. Dom's kid or or what? Uh, but I'm just thinking yeah. something's gonna happen to that kid because in all the yeah. posters and everything we've seen so far, it's just that cross that he gives to the kid, but no kid anywhere. So whether that kid gets taken or is killed off, something happens that actually like seemed like there's an emotional core to it. And then the whole second half of the trailer was just here's cars going across a cliff by something being attached to the front of the car. Um. Yeah, but are you surprised? <laughs> I'm surprised we haven't gone like, to space is, yet. Yeah, that Fast is still X. like it's very. Oh, don't give them any ideas. Stop. You know it. it's coming. Yeah. In it also, I, it's I, only a matter of time. Maybe even the next one where we get the Cena Rock face off, <sighs> and like an actual WrestleMania want... match where we want a certain matchup. Fast and Furious will shoehorn in Vin Diesel just because and make it a triple threat. Well, yeah. That's that's normally how that works. But it's going to be really difficult to shoot that given that they can't all be in the same place at the same time or else they'll kill each other. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think it's hard to talk about this because neither of us really care about Fast and Furious. My first and only Fast and Furious movie I've seen so far is Hobbs and Shaw, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, it's, I'm not really, yeah, <laughs> I don't really care. I, I mean, like, they're, they're cool movies. I'm like, I enjoy the idea of all these cars and whatnot. But, like, I remember watching the first one and being pretty okay with it. But it, uh, just not down for the rest of these. Also, I'm sure I come in with a bias of there's a Universal ride. There's a Fast and Furious ride at Universal. And it is widely regarded, and I wholeheartedly agree to be one of the worst theme park rides in history. It is awful. And it, it just taints my opinion of the franchise even further. Yeah. Which uh, that can totally have something to do with it. But at the same time, like, you know, it's, it is what it is, man, I guess. Now, you know, I'm sure I've heard the fans of this series uh, liked this trailer. So, I mean. Oh, you know, I'm sure they did. To just each like their own. How. You, I'm sure, are more excited for the martial arts aspects of Mulan than your average Disney fan would be. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. To each their own. Now, something that is pretty universally loved at this point is the Marvel properties. And I'm going to be honest, I did not expect this spot that we got in the Super Bowl advertising not one, but three of their upcoming Disney Plus shows with Falcon yes. Winter Soldier, uh, WandaVision, and the Loki series. Um, I actually had some of my 
nerves calmed by this spot for one of the shows that I was very nervous about. Uh, which show is that? WandaVision. Yeah. I've been very critical about WandaVision. I thought it's a dumb name. Having a sitcom angle is going to be weird. I'm not going to lie. WandaVision was the part of that spot that stood out to me the most. And maybe it's because it has the most, like, Easter eggs of what could be in store. Yeah. It's... But also, the big moment, of course, the blink and you miss it. She's wearing the Scarlet Witch costume. Oh, dude, I popped hard for that. Same. It was super cool. Uh, but also, they kind of like treat it kind of as a joke, which I'm, believe it or not, I'm okay with because the original Scarlet Witch costume in the comics is very much of its time and very comic booky of one of those ones that would yeah. be incredibly difficult to translate to the big screen. So they kind of, it looks like she's going to be wearing it as a Halloween costume, which I'm more okay with as like wearing it kind of as yeah. a kidding way. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting because I, I I get the feel of uh, like an Elseworld kind of sitcom story thing going on. I'm not sure if, you know, everything's going to be connected or what have you, but it, it, it should be interesting to say the least. Uh, and upon a deep dive, since I've seen the spots a couple times, it's not just one show that they're doing with this WandaVision thing. It seems like each episode may take place in a different era of sitcoms. Like you had yeah, that uh, black I, and white for I Love Lucy. You had one that kind of looked more like the Brady Bunch. You had one that looked more like Roseanne. Um, like the different eras of sitcoms. So I thought that was interesting. There's also a lot to just be um, blinking. You miss it details of wait a second, one of these shots, she's super pregnant. Yeah. Which is interesting. There's two cribs. You don't think. I think this is House of M teasing. No way. I think by the end of WandaVision, her brain is going to be fractured in... Into the Multiverse of Madness. What if Into the Multiverse of Madness is set up by her losing her mind? She establishes a multiverse. Huh. That actually... I mean, because... I mean, if you never define what her powers are, then you can do whatever you want with them. I think the show will be about her becoming the Scarlet Witch. Huh. That would be... That'd be interesting, to say the least. Even after that spot, it is not the one that I'm most excited for, and that's obviously uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, just because Falcon has been one of my favorite MCU characters ever since his introduction in Winter Soldier, and I like the little bits that we saw of Bucky just staring down Zemo with the loaded gun and just lets the bullets drop out of his hand. It, it, I got very, like, you don't control me anymore kind of vibe from that. I also got an Independence Day vibe from there's a shot of Falcon flying in a canyon, and it looks like he's being chased. Yeah. Please tell me he uh, makes one of the people crash and punches him saying, welcome to Earth. Oh, boy, stop it. 
Um, I like that we don't (laughs) see Falcon in the Captain America suit. We see U.S. agent in the suit who is more or less who the government has decided should be the new Cap, not who Cap decided is the new Cap. I agree. Um, I think that would be the payoff of the end of the season is seeing Falcon as the new Cap. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. I think the other thing that that caught me was um, uh, I don't know what Loki is about. But for some reason, having him sit in a chair saying he's going to burn everything to the ground was all I needed. Uh, I've looked into it. So the little logo that's on his like prison jacket is like from a time force agency or like somebody that deals with time travel. So it could be like people trying to stop Loki in his time traveling. I can see that because uh, since Endgame, we don't know if that technically means that he's alive or not. Yep. And I don't know. I I think I saw somewhere that this is supposed to be a limited series. So it's not supposed yeah, to go I, I on agree. forever. So I think they have Which a clear end goal of where this is going to be. Yeah, I, I would I would agree. And this is the one that they kind of, for the most part, kept pretty close to the chest. Like, we don't really know a lot about it other than... Well, look, Owen it's because Loki is the one that's the furthest away. That, okay, I mean that's that's fair. I mean, yeah. I what's what I'm curious most about it, and I think you and I are going to joke about it a lot, is that Owen Wilson is joining the series. Yeah, let's talk about that now. That's a great segue there, Josh. Thank you. Appreciate it. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> let's get our wows out of the way now, guys. Wow. I, I genuinely think the only way to get any more meme-worthy content out of Nicolas this show, Cage's nightmare. Exactly. <laughs> like, <gasps> no. In the Loki series, we get Nicolas Cage back as Ghost Rider. Oh, don't you, t- don't you tempt me? Don't you, don't you I put said, that in my head? I said at some point I think he's going to join the MCU. I I do know that he he I've heard him saying that he wants to um, direct a a Ghost Rider movie and not him not be in it. Hmm, I'd be interested in that. Um, Absolutely, but yeah, as we were saying, Owen Wilson has joined the cast of the Loki series. Which I know some people are joking, just going, "How many wows are we gonna get?" Um, Let's not forget here, guys, and I mean this with full sincerity, Owen Wilson is a really good actor. Both comedic, mainly known for comedic, but he's also done a lot of great dramatic stuff, too. Absolutely. So I'll be curious, to say the least, of what what he's, what his character he's playing, what, you know, all, everything revolves around him on that. But, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting, to say the least. It was not a name that I was expecting to join the MCU anytime soon. But when I saw it, I got excited. I was just like, I like to see Owen Wilson in more stuff. I like, yeah, I like seeing Owen Wilson in things. Yeah, he's just that, he's that kind of personality that he's enjoyable to see on screen. Exactly. Curious, has Owen Wilson <laughs> ever gone evil? Um, or is he like too likable? Um, I don't think he's ever been evil. I, but I also don't think he's ever really been in the position, in the kind of movie that has a quote unquote evil character. If this was Outside 20 of, years ago, he could have been Thor. 
I would have hated every second of that. But yeah. I don't think so. Cause I don't know. When maybe it's just me. When I read Thor growing up, I always kind of pictured Thor as kind of a airheaded meathead. I can okay, I can see that. And if oh if um Owen Wilson bulked up, he's already got like the long blonde hair and kind of the his character often is that, oh wow, okay, yeah, let's just do that. Kind of yeah. flighty innocent brain. And yeah. anybody can bulk up, really. Look, even Kumail Nanjiani is bulked for Eternals now. Yeah. It's it'll be I'll be curious just of of what he does. Um I mean, I could kind if he ever if he really has those serious acting chops, having him as Adam Warlock wouldn't be out of the question. Maybe I I don't know. I think they'll go with an even bigger name for Adam Warlock whenever we get him. Well, uh, I'm going to take that back just because Adam Warlock is supposed to be like quote unquote perfect, and I love Owen, but that weird looking nose of his. It, Keanu Reeves been, is Adam Warlock. Stop. No, I don't. I, I'm going to keep putting that out in the into, into the universe, but I just I don't know. <laughs> no, I would not be surprised if it's Zac Efron, and I mean that. I I, I wouldn't be surprised either. Um, but I wouldn't be. My guess is, if I had to put money on it, which I'm not a betting man, but if I had to be, I would probably say that Owen Wilson's role in the Loki series would probably be similar to Martin Freeman's role in Civil War, of kind of like the agent tasked with guarding the asset. I, I, okay. Yeah, I can totally see that. Of like, stop Loki from his time-traveling misdeeds. Yeah, I can see that. Um, well, Owen Wilson seemed to be an out-of-nowhere, but welcome character slash actor into a role. Now, if there was a surprise that was more welcome than this one, I have not seen it, but... This, to me, as a movie fan, is the Moby Dick of the movie world of, like, the... It's out there somewhere. People have been asking and praying for this return for, no joke, probably about 20 years now. Uh, We want this guy to come back to acting, and it seems like the tides may finally be turning, and it may finally be happening. The great Rick Moranis may be coming back to the world of movies. So... Uh, I don't even think we talked about it a few months back when we reported because we were that disinterested in it. Uh, but we're getting a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids sequel with Josh Gad as a grown-up version of one of the kids from the original movie, kind of like what they did with that terrible vacation movie a few years ago. But this time, at least it seems like um, Rick Moranis may be coming back to reprise his role as Wayne Selinsky, to which I'm not even the biggest... Um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids fans, fan, but this immediately made me interested. I have oh, missed I, yeah. Rick Moranis so much. Well, I think the biggest thing is, I think you and I have been talking about this. I don't think we've said it on mic, but um, just the, the comedy sometimes, at least for me, has been in a place where it's felt all the same and it just feels stale. And I mean, if Rick comes back for just this movie, that's fine with me because I, I love the dude. I love his work. The, his comedic timing is pristine. But 
and like for those who don't know why he's been gone for so long, go go look it up. It's yeah, he's got this. It's tragic, but an incredibly powerful story of why he has not been acting for a lot of years. Absolutely, of but, just like I can't even be mad at him for leaving Hollywood. Just like you, you did something I don't think a lot of people in your situation would do. Absolutely, I and but with which that is being probably said, why I'm so excited for him to come back because it's just like clearly it's on yeah. his terms. I think he he thinks his life is in a good enough spot that he he's he can come well, back. And if it's been twenty odd years since he left, given the reason why he left, it would make sense why now. Yes, Um, I think. I don't think this role will be huge. I think this will be a no. small supporting um kind of like Christmas vacation of the cousin Eddie type role of more than a cameo but not a full-fledged main character. My hope is that this is him slowly but surely dipping his toes back into the acting waters because it means he probably is not going to be in the Ghostbusters movie later this year returning as Lewis Tully. However, I can still dream, dang it, that maybe, just maybe, if his role in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, whatever we're calling this, goes well, and he's just like, okay, this went better than expected, I feel as though I'm ready to come back to acting, maybe we can get lucky enough that at some point in our lifetime, we can see him don the dark helmet one more time for Spaceballs 2, The Search for More Money. Wait, is that, is that really a thing? That it's been rumored for many, many years that the cast wants to do it, but Mel Brooks won't do it without Rick Moranis's dark helmet. So I'm, I have my fingers crossed. If the Honey I Shrink the Kids thing goes well, that he'll be like, well, maybe I can come back for Spaceballs. And it was either you or I think it was Heather that we were talking about this. Of Spaceballs is now in a better position now than ever to come back for a sequel, except instead of parodying the first Stars movie, you parody the sequel trilogy with like. Dark Helmet's kid is Kylo Ren and maybe just call it, I don't know, just call him Ben, just straight up. And Ray, just spoof the sequel trilogy with Mel Brooks-style humor, but the original Spaceballs cast. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I can totally see that. But you would need, Rick Moranis is one of those people that you need him to come back for in order for it to work. Well, and I would love to see Mel Brooks come back to writing movies again, too. I don't so but the problem is I think it's easier to get I it's weird for me to say, but I think it's easier for Rick Morandis to come back than Mel Brooks just because Mel Brooks is in his nineties. Oh, I, I I don't disagree. Also his his comedy style, I don't know how it would go come across uh, nowadays. Maybe if you said like Lord and Miller's Spaceballs Two. Maybe. Eh. Or Key and Peele's oh, well. Spaceballs 2. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but it's just interesting to me that there's so much stuff that, like <gasps> Spaceballs and like Rick, has been, has just Dude, been in development. Better yet. Better yet. Forget Key and Peele. Forget Lord and Miller. You know who I want to direct Spaceballs 2? Who? Taika Waititi. Yes. Because, think about it. He has the comedy background with what we do in the shadows, Hunt for the Wilder People, Jojo Rabbit. But also, he's got the Star Wars pedigree now with him being eyed to do a Star Wars movie 
uh, him doing episodes of The Mandalorian, who better to parody the Star Wars than someone already in the universe with a comedy background? Oh, absolutely. I would, oh, man. And have him be the robot that is like the spawn of Dot Matrix character, because obviously you can't have Joan Rivers come back. Obviously not. But have him voice another droid of some kind. Yeah. That'd be hilarious. I... It's just nice to now again. We don't know for a fact that he's coming back. I I hope this marks the return of Rick Moranis. He's one that people have been asking for his return for a long time. But props to him for never caving into the money. Or well, I just want to act. He put things aside for the right reasons. So I'm I welcome him back when it is his when he feels it's his time. So good for him. Yeah, if he, absolutely. If this is his time to come back. Fantastic! I will rejoice with him. And if if this is a one and done, by all means, bud, that's okay. Yeah, enjoy your one. Go back to your retirement. Enjoy your life, man. You're probably set for life. Exactly. Um, that being said, he that's not the only thing coming from March coming back from our childhood, reportedly. What else is coming from our childhood? I hope it's not Lethal Weapon Five. I mean, that was my childhood. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you had a weird childhood, man. I mean, have you met me? <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, dude, I, why not at this point? You know what I mean? Like, Well, I can think weapon. of a couple reasons why not to do a Lethal Weapon 5, which apparently is in the works. <laughs> one of them is readings? old, and one of them is crazy. And one of them is Joe Pesci. Okay, I'm not Which understanding because yeah, like that, the, like all of that hasn't changed, <laughs> like since since the original series. You know, like <laughs> Danny Glover was old back then. Um, Mel Gibson was crazy back then. But Pesci now he's was a different cool. kind of crazy. I mean, fair enough. He's also jacked out of his mind. Yeah, he's fueled by the hatred of others. <laughs> That and steroids. But anyway, um, I mean, the the problem is with a lethal weapon, that's an action franchise. Bad Boys capitalized on it while at least one of their stars was mobile enough with Will Smith. It's up to bait with Martin Lawrence. Uh, But the thing is, Danny Glover is much older than Will Smith. He was in Jumanji purposely as an old guy. And they don't have Danny Glover himself do most of the action scenes. I genuinely don't think this movie's going to happen. I mean, if it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm not like I won't lie to you. Like I'm, I'm not indifferent. But if it happens, I'm going to go see it. Well, of it's course you are. Weapon. But if it doesn't happen, I'm not going to go be like, oh, how dare you, Hollywood? You ripped the dreams out from under me. I mean, the Lethal Weapon sequels did that all by themselves. I mean, up until the one with Jet Li. Anyway. But um, the, I think the big issue with it, though, has to be the Mel Gibson thing of, yes, let's, let's not ignore what he's done. He's done some good movies as a director over the past few years with, like, Hacksaw Ridge and stuff. But his reputation is still, it precedes him, and it, to have any studio be like, yes, that's our leading actor right now. 
it's kind of like the reverse Tim Tebow effect of you're going to have this whole media swarm around your movie for better or for worse, except Tebow was like more of a positive influence than Mel Gibson. Yeah. Um, but it's no matter what you do with that individual, you're going to have this swarm of media attention just going, we're monitoring every single move. If anything is a hair out of place, we're going to cry foul. And I can see that. I mean, I've been the adamant guy in the corner going, well, I understand he's a bad guy, but I, I don't, I like his acting. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Get the Gringo or uh, Bloodfather. Um, those are two movies he's done since all of that happened, like as the lead actor and like he, he carries it. So, I mean, but like they, they were, they were like straight to Netflix kinds of movies. So, I mean, <laughs> I say, if if it's gonna happen, let it happen. And he, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Mel gives he he, he always gives everything to to a, to a role. But yeah, you know what? Now I'm more thinking about this. I'm not sure if I want this to happen. <laughs> I don't think it will. They just said they're working on the script. I I don't think it will, just because there's so many worrying factors. Yeah, I, I, I think it's easier to make that. a bad boys than it is a Lethal Weapon five. Yeah, I, I can, I can, I would agree with that. But if I had to put I mean, money on we, it, it's easier to make a Lethal Weapon five than it is to make a Crow reboot. Oh, jeez. So, I, I don't even say this with any form of hyperbole, over exaggeration. I don't even say this to be sarcastic. I mean this with a one hundred percent, um, dead seriousness. The Crow reboot that they've been working on for close to 10, 15 years is the single most cursed movie in history. Like, it, at this point, I mean, even it's best to leave this alone because clearly there's some greater force preventing this movie from being rebooted. I mean, it's... It's obviously the ghost of Brandon Lee because... Every single Crow movie since the first one has been terrible and has been plagued with multiple or, issues, like behind the scenes. Yeah, all the Crow movies since that first one have been straight to DVD. We've only had two of them. We've got uh, the Crow Salvation and I think City of Angels. Uh, I'm but I actually I'm pretty sure there's another one, but I'm, I'm, I'm not. There might be, but the thing is, all these Crow movies, none of them have reached the success of the first one, which unfortunately. I really enjoy that first Crow movie. I don't think it gets nearly the credit it deserves when Deadpool did well of the first R-rated comic book movie. I'm just standing on my pedestal going, you idiots forgetting about The Crow. Um, but The Crow, unfortunately, nowadays in 2020, more people know about the movie for the unfortunate uh, passing of Brandon Lee during filming of the film with a stunt that went wrong and he was unfortunately killed by an yeah. actual gun not a prop gun during filming. Which is still crazy to me that one made it onto set. Yeah, that's a whole other issue. But ever since then, there's been this like dark cloud over the Crow franchise. And so over the last 10, 15 years, they've just been like, well, it's a strong enough source material. And the first one did really well. And we could do it for a low enough budget that we can make it work. We think we should give this a shot. And there's been director after director after director and actor after actor. We had Luke Evans at one point attached to be it. Um, Jason Momoa was literally like a 
a few weeks away from cameras rolling. I've actually seen pictures of him with the crow makeup on before they eventually pull the plug on his movie. This movie well, has been apparently this, he he like regrets not doing it too. And it's not his fault. He's just like I have a whole bunch of other projects that I'm scheduled to work on and it's just scheduling conflicts of okay, if we have made no progress on this, I can't commit to this cuz I'm so busy with other things. Um Yeah. And this movie has been in development hell longer than any other film that I could think of. Longer than the Uncharted movie. Um, longer than National Treasure 3. It's just been that turbulent. And like, I'm not a superstitious person by nature, but I, I really think there's something up with this Crow reboot of, given the circumstances of what happened with that first one, given all the numerous issues that this has had, maybe it's probably best to just leave the original crow how it was and don't touch it. Yeah. I would, I I really enjoy the first crow. I would like to see a new modern version of it. Um, I was never a big fan of Jason Momoa's casting. As much as I like Momoa, the character of the crow is very like a scrawny, gangly but still lean character. That's why Brandon Lee fits so well in the role. Yeah. Um, like think more Tom Hiddleston's body type than a Jason Momoa. Um, it, I would like to see a crow movie, but at this point I know they want to reboot it and it's still in the cards, but you've been at it for so long. Well, Maybe the it's thing best is, to just I, cut I, your losses. Yeah, and I feel like the the thing that I I do think it has going for it is I think at this point it seems like there's enough passion about the project itself that they want it to happen uh that I think if it does it it will be good but it's just a matter of getting all the ducks in a row. And it it's tough because all of the my personal candidates that I would have to play the crow like they're all you know kind of big name now like it's gonna be hard to get people's schedules and they're probably attached to the project at one point or another and dropped out exactly so it's it, it, it it's a tough scenario and i think i mean i'm not gonna hold my breath again i think with any of these rumors i think you and i are the same person i'm gonna wait until i see a trailer i and we say this a lot but in all honesty, don't make it a movie. Make it a Netflix series. Or, or yeah, or uh, what? What studio is putting it putting it on? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think it's one of the bigger ones. Maybe it's like a Dimension or Miramax or one of the smaller I'm studios. Gonna, I'm gonna Google Live who put on the first one because um, I feel it was like New Line or something. Yeah, maybe it was New Line. I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I've seen that first Crow. Yeah, it's it's apparently there's a director's cut out there where um, there's a director's cut of the third one. I know that. Yes, but there's a director's cut of the first one somewhere that uh, where Brandon actually does some of his Wing Chun stuff. Like there's all the stuff that his, his dad taught him. Like he actually there's some apparently a cut of it where he does more physical like martial arts in fighting in the movie. Hmm. Which would be super rad. Well, Which, someone that I hope uses their martial arts skills soon 
is Batman in the upcoming Matt Reeves Batman movie. So it seems like we almost have a weekly update every single week for you. But this one, there's a very interesting development that comes from a very unlikely source. Uh, and that's Warner Brothers themselves came out with this information. Uh, I don't know what prompted them to release this, but they did. They're just like, oh, hey, guys, it's Thursday. Have some news. Why not? Um, yeah. So we knew that uh, newcomer Jamie Lawson and veteran actor Peter Skarsgård, who was great in The Magnificent Seven, by the way, um, they had been cast in the Mat- in the Batman movie. And there was some speculation as to who they might be. There's some thought that maybe Jamie Lawson, because she's an actress of color, may be Jim Gordon's daughter, and she's actually secretly Barbara Gordon. Well, that turns out not to be the case, because not only is she, but also Peter Skarsgård, both of them are completely new characters to the Batman mythos. Not based on any comic book character, they're completely new characters, but I think that reveals a lot about the world that this Batman movie inhabits. So we have um, Jamie Lawson's character is going to be a Gotham mayoral candidate by the name uh, Bella Real, which is interesting because she seems kind of young to be running for mayor but uh, we need to know the greater context for me but the one that stands out more is peter skarsgård's character will be the gotham city district attorney gil colson not harvey dent so this further illustrates this whole point of this is very much batman year one or year two not all of batman's villains or his world is established yet and i like seeing this i don't think gordon will be commissioner yet he's probably still stuck at lieutenant if anything yeah i wouldn't be surprised it's gonna be interesting that's actually kind of unfortunate because scars guard i wouldn't mind um wait which one is that um, is that the one that did it no that's um that's bill scars that's bill Okay, so which Peter one is Peter? Peter is the one from the Magnificent Seven remake that was the main villain. He unfortunately was in the Green Lantern movie as the big big head guy. Got it, okay. Okay, I've, I've got, okay, yeah. Never mind then, because I was going to say, I, um, if they're going to get a Scars guard, bringing in Bill to be Riddler would be amazing. Well, we already have our Riddler. No. We do with Paul Dano. That's cool, but... Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I like the fact that Skarsgård is the district attorney, but he's not Harvey Dent. Like, yes. if they do this right, we can see the fall of Harvey Dent again. Yes. My biggest issue is I don't want this to be another case of Arkham Knight. Where they're like, we've got a brand new character for you guys that's never been seen before. And then it turns out just to be a character that has been there before, just repackaged. I'm still kind of hoping, and maybe this is a pipe dream. I was thinking about this on my way to work, uh, way home from work today, of how great would it be if we get, instead of a movie that's based off the comics or inspired by the comics, we get a movie that isn't a direct adaptation, but is inspired heavily by Mask of the Phantasm. I can see that. Of... For those of you that know it, Mask of the Phantasm is the most criminally underrated Batman movie, but it's also a mystery, which is what they've said this Batman will be, um, of maybe some person that's very close to Batman that we really wouldn't suspect either because they don't have the right temperament or maybe because they're not even the right gender 
spoiler alert for Mask of the Phantasm. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I think this is, to me, shows that Warner Brothers is trying to do this right and trying to do it different than before. And establish a universe around Batman. They didn't immediately yeah. jump into Two-Face. Yeah, or Joker or, or someone uh, that we're aware of, at least. But Skarsgård, we can acknowledge this. He may not be Two-Face. But there is no chance that he is not a crooked DA. Yes. He's absolutely um, evil. Uh, real quick, um, you're right about The Crow. Uh, D- Dimension did put it out, but it was also put out by, by Miramax. I figured it was one of those, like, because for a yeah. while in, that was what, uh, mid to late 90s? I think the first one was 94 for The Crow. <laughs> At that time, uh, yeah, Dimension 94. and Miramax were making a lot of horror-related stuff. They had the rights to Halloween at the time. They were doing Hellraiser. Yeah. Well, and Miramax has done so much stuff like that that I, it's, it's not that surprising. Yeah. Um, well, let's transition now to our main discussion. Josh, you got a sponsor for us this week before we get into our main discussion? Um, Let's do... Uh... Today's episode is sponsored to by Apex Legends, the game that keeps on giving. They just released uh, season four um, for for the game, and um, yeah, they didn't really tell anybody anything really about it, and uh, so we're all just like finding out new stuff. It's great. And I've been playing Battlefront Two with my new update that just dropped yesterday, where I can now play as BB Eight. Yay! I have heard, even not just from you, that the, the new update has really like made the game actually playable. Yeah, if you guys have not played Battlefront 2 since launch, I was right there with you. I quit after about a month. Go back and play it. It's one of the best Star Wars games ever made now. It really is. Well, that's, uh, that's good to know there. Yeah, if you've given up on it, go back and play it now. You've got 22 heroes total. 11 on each side that you can be all the different classes. It, it just works. It's so much better than what it was at launch. They've really fixed a lot of the issues and it's, it's refreshing with the fresh new content that they drop like every month, all free too. That's good. Look at them. Well, last week we talked about our favorite movie duos and we thought, you know, we've probably got more TV related ones and I'm sure we do. Um, but I'd be remiss if I didn't open up my TV duos with probably the one that would easily take the number one spot for me any day of the week. My favorite show of all time, primarily because of the leading two. What? Um, it's supernatural, right? I don't even acknowledge CW exists. <laughs> <laughs> what is it, David? What is it? Psych with Sean and Gus. Black and tan. (laughs) I didn't even know that you liked Psych. Man, this is news to me. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. It's not like I'm only going to get NBC's Peacock for one week and one week only to watch the second Psych movie or anything. Yeah. (laughs) Which, actually, as much as I put Sean and Gus on this list of my favorite TV duos, I could easily put an honorable mention for Lassie and Jules just the same because they're also... The nice thing about Psych oh, is the rest of the cast is so well-rounded and they fill out the rest of the show incredibly well that you can pair much pair up, pair up anybody and it would still work really well. Oh, yeah, like Lassie and Sean. Lassie and Sean. <laughs> uh, 
Chief and Lassie. Jules Sean and, and his dad. Yeah. It's just, oh. Uh, so, what is it about, I'm assuming they'd probably be on your list. What is it about Sean and Gus that you put on your, that you would put them on your list, Josh? Um, I think it's the same thing that makes the show work so well is that at its core, it's about two best friends who have decided to pull, <laughs> decided to use Sean's unique abilities to their advantage. It is literally just a Sherlock Holmes copy with one of them being super, super smart and super observant and the other one being in um, medicine mm-hmm. and talks about their adventures. Um, to me, I, with the thing with Sean and Gus is it is one of the most believable and organic chemistries of any TV pairing. Like, they never feel phoned in. They always feel very natural. Like, James Roday and Dulé Hill, the actors playing the roles, felt like they were actually best friends and felt like they were just two kids stuck in grown men's bodies. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what works so well for me when, because when all of a sudden it gets serious, it becomes like, it feels like the the emotion is actually elevated because, you know, these guys, like not even an episode ago, these guys are, you know, were entered themselves in a celebrity lookalike talent show. You know what Which, I mean? Like speaking of duos, whenever I'm interesting, introducing people to psych, I start with the American duos episode. Yeah. Yes. It's a great episode, but you know, it, it, it's, it, I think because of how close, how, how big, how obvious the, the uh, friendship is and then how, like you said, like how they, they're like two grown children. Um, it, it plays, the show plays off of them very well in that both in story and like emotions. And even then when, you know, certain things happen between Sean and, and, and Jules, like, you feel things more because normally the show is so happy, you know, fun and whimsy. Yeah. And there, yeah, there'll and be those moments that like Sean is mostly the jovial, fun, loving guy, but there'll be those times that be like, Gus, can we be serious? And Gus immediately, it's just like, okay, what's up? What's going on, buddy? Like yeah. Sean and Gus is that relationship that everyone wishes that they had at some yeah. point in their life with somebody. Absolutely. Not as much though, as, as much as I love Sean and Gus, there's clearly a precursor to their character types of the ultimate bromance, a guy love, if you will. <laughs> guy love, it's changing guys. Oh man, uh, don't pretend like we don't know every single word of guy love. <laughs> and don't pre- don't pretend like I haven't tried apple teenies because of this show. No, he had okay. such good momentum, and then, then he had to go and admit <laughs> that. Bro, it's because I am JD. Yeah. I, I'm fine with settling for Turk, then, in which case. Yep. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about Scrubs. And Obviously. The, the best d- duo, in my opinion, with JD and Turk. Which, we've had this discussion before, but we have a buddy of ours that we're not going to say who it is. But he's definitely the Todd. Oh, gosh. Jeez, man. 
I think what's what the best part about this is it's, and you can say what you said about Psych, kind of about this show as well. The uh, the surrounding cast is so well rounded that in certain ways you can also really pair off really all some of the other characters with uh, Doctor Cox and um oh no JD. You can pair off Doctor Cox and JD, Turk and Carla, Carla and Carla. Well, I was about to say Carla and Elliot, but I hate Elliot. I hate Elliot. I was going to say Carla and um, Dr. Cox. Yeah. Well, Carla with anybody. Everybody on Scrubs undergoes an arc and changes as a character and, like, grows as a character, except for Carla. But that's because she was, like, a good, stable character throughout. Yes. She was the mama bear, basically. Outside of, um, oh, my goodness. I haven't watched the show in so long, so I'm blanking on names. Um, The Nurse That Dies. Um, uh, Laverne Laverne and then comes back the next episode as somebody else yep <laughs> oh I loved that um, but yeah she like Laverne's mama, mama bear to me really yes I love her but you know Turk and JD is is the quintessential bromance of and it, it's interesting too that it would have been really really easy and I would say that so they don't do this very, as well in Psych as they do in Scrubs. But watching JD and Turk grow in their friendship from best friends that are grown up kids that are just, you know, they're they're doing their dream job to, oh my goodness, we have kids. We may married. not be able to hang out as much, but they're still yeah. my bro type of thing. Exactly. So it's it, it, it was interesting, even, you know, with the dealing with that wacky ninth season. Um, it, there was a ninth still, season? Look, All I okay. remember was that terrible spinoff show. Okay, this is what I'm going to say. Okay, and I'm only going to say it once. If it wasn't attached to Scrubs, it would be a very good sitcom. Probably, yeah, I'd agree. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> uh, Turk and JD are are the quintessential. I mean, even like the scene where, like, it just starts and JD's laying in the parking lot and Turk's laying there, there next to him. He's like, "That's well, what exactly are we doing? the scene I was going to reference." Yeah. What What are you doing here? Oh, you got. We were playing basketball and you got hit in the head and knocked out, and I, so I laid next to you so nobody else would would realize what was going on. So people thought we were chilling. <laughs> yeah. It's the best. Like, like, come on, man! Like, ugh. it is. It's the bromance of all bromances. Like, two dudes that are comfortable being as affectionate to each other and being, yep, we're total bros. <laughs> Although there are times when Turks like, all right, hey, maybe tone, tone it down a little bit. <laughs> what? What? Why can't I call you Chocolate Bear? <laughs> Which, um. Speaking of bromance, it's not on my list, and I'm really pissed at myself that I didn't think about this sooner than it's not on my list because it's one of my favorite shows of all time. But it, it got me thinking with Psych, and not not Psych, uh, with Scrubs, of how they always do Eagle. And yes. I almost got that mixed up with Hug Me, Brother. Oh my gosh, what show is that? Drake and Josh. Oh, dude. How did I forget about Drake and Josh? 
You were so busy thinking about Supernatural. <laughs> no, I prefer the shows that I have actually seen every episode of and I like. <laughs> I know. And don't overstay um, their welcome. No. <laughs> don't get me started on that. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Four seasons compared to 15. The show should have ended after five or six. Um, but Drake and Josh, how, how did I not have this on my list at all? I completely forgot because, about Drake and Josh. Because they hate each other now. Because Josh got married and Drake wasn't invited. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of a jerk move. It, it's not actually like I, I've seen the interview with Josh. Like we haven't talked in years. Like I don't, I don't know why. It's it's weird because like. <laughs> I don't know. I get the sense that they've almost switched roles from their show of like Drake, Drake still is the musician, but like Josh kind of is the cocky one now. I mean, he, he kind of deserves it in some ways. But it was all when he lost the weight and his head got weird, disproportionate. <laughs> sure. But <laughs> sure. They were, I had watched Drake and Josh so much as a kid, which watching it now as an adult, because I have every episode on my laptop. The jokes still really hold up, and they're no, yeah, like it's that chemistry between Drake and Josh that really, really works, and just the weird antics that they get into. That like, yes, they butt heads, but at the end of the day, they're truly best friends. And it's hard to deny that as well. It's kind of like. Um, another show that they're just the two best friends and legitimately nothing's going to separate them in Scooby and Shaggy. I was thinking you might go into Scooby and Shaggy. Um, I mean, why not, man? Like somebody else we talked about last week, this is one of the people that will cross over in both the movie and the TV universe. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know about you, Josh, but I judge my Scooby-Doo shows on two things, uh, animation quality and Scooby and Shaggy. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think it's why funny I to hate me that the pup named Scooby Doo, but a lot. Yeah, what's it, new Scooby Doo? What's interesting, yeah, to me is like the shows, the older ones that are not as well animated per se. Um, they're they come across as like a better show. Well, they're I like what's new Scooby Doo because it had that feel of the old with just updated animation. Yeah, that's fair. But also, I think um, the earlier Scooby-Doo's had an easier time because they didn't have 40 years of material to worry about repeating themselves with. Also true. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, that relationship between Scooby and Shaggy is legitimately, you know, as basic as you can get in that it's a, it's a boy and his dog. And it just it, – it's – so easy to relate to whether you've had a dog or not, but you're just like, Hey, that's they're, they're best friends. And they're all, they literally legitimately never leave each other's sides. And what I've always liked about Scooby-Doo and it's always like the one consistent thing is they can be terrified, but as soon as one of them is in danger, the other one becomes like Rambo. And it's just like, yes. nothing will stop me from getting my friend back. Like if something yes. happens, you're like, uh oh, you done goofed. You you messed with the wrong person. Which, which and is it's, why I like that it's not just like if something happens to Shaggy, Scooby becomes brave. But it's like if something happens to Scooby, Shaggy's just like, no, I will fight Kimbo Slice if I have to. <laughs> I might be afraid, but anything for Scooby. I think it's it's why I'm so excited about 
I'm actually excited about the new animated movie because it it goes back. It's just it's that relationship from the beginning. Yeah, the filmmakers seem to get that, and I like the the live action Scooby Doo that we talked about last week had its own issues, um, but at the core, they got Scooby and Shaggy right. They understood that that's the whole crux of Scooby-Doo. The rest of the gang kind of comes around later, but it starts with Scooby and Shaggy. Shaggy adopting Scooby. Um, It's essentially just about them, and that's why it works. That's why, in fact, if any time that the show gets spun off and some characters get cut, it's always Scooby and Shaggy that stay. That's why they had their own show for a little bit. Yeah. Which Shaggy had a red shirt and jeans for some reason. <laughs> don't 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 ask questions. Just accept it. I I try not to. Uh but another duo, believe it or not, that cross paths with Scooby and Shaggy on numerous occasions. Next up, <laughs> Batman and Robin. I can't believe that that was a segue we unintentionally did. That's great. Oh, believe me, dude. (laughs) That was perfectly intentional. Oh, my goodness. That was good. But more specifically, the Batman and Robin that actually crossed over with Scooby and Shaggy, the 60s Batman and Robin, because we're talking about TV. And obviously, if you're talking about duos, you have to talk about the dynamic duo. Of Batman and Robin. More specifically, Adam West and Burt Ward. I watched yes. this version of Batman so much as a kid on TV land that I didn't even realize until many years down the road that it's supposed to be a joke. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> like, I just How saw it as not? a show of just like, this is a superhero show. This is just a show. I didn't get as a kid that this was supposed to be cheesy and bad. Yeah, it was the whole point. It's, but it's, in it's their great. defense, in the defense of everyone, it's just like, I don't I don't get why it was like that back then because that was what Batman comics were in the 60s. Yeah. Oh, I, that, it was that a lot of, hey, almost- Robin, let's go surfing for the day with Superman. It was it was just like that, man. That's what you do. That's, that's the thing. But I mean, it's Adam West too, so it's it, it's prime prime comedy. They're the, one of the most iconic duos of all time, and it's that show, that specific version of Batman, holds a very special place, not just in my heart as a Batman fan, but also just in TV history. That's a very iconic series. It's it's hard not to talk about best TV duos without talking about one of the biggest duos of all time. You've got. Your dynamic duo, even though we're not going to talk about it today, you've got your Mulder and Scullies from X-Files. You've got yeah. um, somebody else that we'll talk about later from another well-regarded show. Um, you've got these iconic duos, and it's hard not to talk about or at least give mention to the original Batman and Robin. They were so yeah. successful, in fact, that even up until um, a few years ago, they were still making animated movies with those voice actors. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's and it's incredible that the fan base was so behind it, behind that as well. Completely agree. Now, uh, Batman is often regarded as the world's greatest detective. Well, those claims could absolutely be re- 
disputed, that's the word I'm looking for, by the actual world's greatest (laughs) detective, Sherlock Holmes, and his trusty sidekick, Watson. So, oh man, I thought you were going to talk about about, about supernatural. Dang, <laughs> that will not be mentioned at all. Besides the fact that we keep mentioning them between every duo, <laughs> this is going to be my gag the whole show. But of course, oh, I'm dude. talking specifically about the Cumberbatch and Freeman version of yes. Sherlock. Although I will admit to having seen a few episodes of the old school Sherlock Holmes with Jeremy Brett. Yeah, and it's I just, don't think it's okay. It's a little yeah, outdated, I, I think. I, I think there's a BBC like a outside of Benedict. I think there's another Sherlock Holmes. I just yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, okay, from like the 80s, I think. Yeah, it's it's okay. Um, it, it's old school, traditional Sherlock Holmes. I prefer my Sherlock's to be Benedict. Oh, okay. <laughs> but no, Over I agree. Easy. I think the, the the chemistry here is in the confidence of both characters, but Benedict's um Sherlock has like a certain confidence about how he carries himself and how he talks to people. Whereas Martin Freeman, uh, he, while he has confidence in what in his abilities, his interactions like his social interactions can be a little awkward and it, it, it's fun to watch him interact with Sherlock because he he ne- even like later on in the show he's never truly sure how to deal with Sherlock I like that when we first meet them they're kind of feeling each other out they don't really know what to make of each other but by the end they're genuinely brothers but also as the show progresses the characters They don't change, but they peel back certain layers that you see of them, of like Sherlock, you just, when you first meet him, he seems like this cold, calculating, emotionally distant, but genius character that Mm -hmm. doesn't, things don't really register for him. But as the show progresses, you kind of see that when people talk down about him or, or just like say snide comments, he does hear them and it does get to him. He just hides it away. Like he... He pretends he doesn't feel, but he still does. Um, And Watson, on the other hand, so many times with Sherlock Holmes stories, Watson is just there to dump exposition or just be there to explain things to the audience. I appreciate how much, how great of lengths they went to in the Sherlock and Watson dynamic to make Watson feel necessary in the Sherlock show. Of he's not just there to explain dumb down Sherlock's logic for the audience. He's actually there to contribute. He is the steady hand for Sherlock on more than one occasion. He's he's needed. It's not just Sherlock and Watson. It's it's an actual pairing. It's a duo. It's a team. Yeah. And, and to to the point where even in the the last episode of the series like Sherlock's on his own for a little bit, if I remember right, and it feels a little weird. Yes, like there's, they split off a couple times, and like Sherlock tries to pair with, um, not Mary, Molly, who is not a character from the stories, but it was one of the best additions to the Sherlock mythology. I really like the character of Molly, the coroner. Yeah, that, 
and it just it doesn't feel the same. Yes. Um, but like Sherlock seems to be this cold distant one. He's just like, I don't have friends except for one, uh, just showing the power of them as a unit. And I can't think of anybody else that would have been better suited for that role than Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. I just, they're such a great pairing and I just find it so ironic that they always end up in projects together, whether that be, um, the Hobbit or now they're both in the MCU. Yeah, I'm just waiting for them to cross paths. Oh, I cannot wait for Doctor Strange to meet Martin Freeman's character. I'm still yeah. mad that before um, before Robert Downey Jr. died, we didn't get a no-crap Sherlock joke. Yeah. That's oh, really that was such a wasted opportunity. But, you know, it is what it is. But um, speaking of jokes, we've got to talk about one of the best modern comedic duos out there. And when you hear comedic duos, probably only one name is coming to mind right now. Key and Peel. They're like, it, it's what's been fun is to um, see how they've grown from that. But yeah, the watching them on that show and Dave Chappelle has laughed and joking. Joe said like, they basically did everything that the, Dave Chappelle did, show did, but just with both of them. If Dave had somebody else to to fire off of, and that's Key and Peele. It, it's they are absolutely hilarious, and just like the skits that they put together are unlike anything else. I feel like at times we don't give them credit as comedians for how smart some of the writing is. Of uh, their skits are so diverse and still almost all of them knock it out of the park. But in order to, for something to be funny, you have to understand your source material. And they, I always feel like with all their skits, they understand their material and what would make it funny. Yeah. It, every Everything's intentional. It's not like they... I mean, maybe they accidentally came across jokes or something, but like it, it feels like they knew what they were going for. They know what each skit is about. You know, it's a, it's very, very intentional comedic writing. They know what's funny and what's not. But they also have just such a natural chemistry, even when they're playing so against their normal types, whatever that may be, because both of them are such chameleons in their show that they could yes. play anything. But no matter what roles they're playing, they always play off each other so incredibly well. It's unbelievable how good their chemistry is. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. What's going to be interesting to me is if, um, oh man, Peel, yeah, Peel's the one that's making movies now, right? Yes. If I remember right. Yeah, yeah. So Key, if Key ever like starts making appearances. Yeah, I've movies, wondered that. Ben granted, he's done that, uh, Peel's only done like horror films uh he so, most recently was in playing with fire with john cena Blah. yeah uh but before that he was in the predator um they did a movie together uh with called keanu oh yeah but that was just an extravagant skit that they wanted to do yeah basically if they're gonna make but, if any of their skit sketches deserve to be turned into a movie it's gotta be substitute teacher Mm, yeah. Okay. I can I see that. I would pay good money to see a substitute teacher movie. Basically, you remember what's that Hillary Swank movie where she's a teacher in the inner city? 
Yeah, yeah, Just yeah, parody yeah. that you with know Substitute what? Teacher. I, I, actually, I don't think that that one's my favorite. Really? Um, when Walking Walking Dead was at their peak, did you ever see the skit they did of uh, racist zombies? <gasps> uh, the alien invasion one? No. Can you park them, my car? <laughs> I do remember that one. But the, it's them walking down a down a road in during the zombie apocalypse, and they're like, "All right, we're gonna sneak uh, sneak over here." Oh man, there's all these zombies, and they're all the zombies are avoiding them. Yes, I've seen that they're one. All white. And he's like, "These some racist zombies. Why? What is going on?" Nah, see, uh, for me, it's always substitute teacher, just because that was my first Key and Peele sketch, yeah. and it's forever ruined. A A Ron, anybody named A A Ron, I can't call them Aaron anymore. It's A A Ron. Yeah. Or O'Shack Hennessy. Um, <laughs> Who? <laughs> O'Shaughnessy. <laughs> uh, that one, and um, also I've always loved, and I will watch it all the time, is their Pro Bowl sketches, the East-West Bowl. Oh, dude. Uh, what, what, were they doing all the names for the different um, football players? Yes. Or maybe because I'm a movie fan, but the one that I don't think people talk about enough is there's one called Movie Hecklers, where uh, this guy and this girl are trying to enjoy a movie, and Keen Peel are behind them, just like um, being those loud, obnoxious people at a movie, except playing it very differently. Like, he's just like, don't go in there, man. Don't go in there. Don't go into a crane shot, man. Come on, you're estab- you're ruining the established shot of just like, <laughs> this has an, this movie has an inconsistent visual language, <laughs> which is literally like you and me watching movies. Yep, basically, <laughs> unfortunately, but I've always the funny thing with Key and Peele is like I don't know if it is for you. I never seek them out. They always find a way to coming to me. Yes. Like every few weeks, YouTube will be like, hey, you haven't watched a Key and Peele video in a while. Here's 50 of them. And Key and Peele <laughs> sketches and to me there. are like Ritz crackers. You can't just have one of them. Exactly. Because <laughs> once you start, it's like a it's like a rabbit hole. And once you start down that hole, you just go and tell them, oh, man. And that's the sign of good comedy of writing to me is one is not enough. Yeah, well, absolutely. They're just such it's, a good like, duo. That that to me is how Letterkenny is. Like I can't just watch one episode. I have to watch like a season or or go, oh man, it's two in the morning. I better go to bed. I've been told I need to see Letterkenny. I have not yet, but there's too much content. I know, I know. Um, But the sooner you see it, the more I can start giving you jokes and I think you and I will will throw uh, the phrases around quite a bit. Alrighty then. Um, I was going to do a supernatural reference, but I have none at my disposal. That's okay. I mean, we'll just have to open the gate back open at season five and just let everything we got captured. Anyway, um, let's talk about Walt and Jesse. <laughs> well, I don't know how much you could talk about Walt and Jesse because. Okay, is it that you haven't seen a Breaking Bad, or is it that you haven't seen you have seen it, but you didn't like it? I have seen it and I didn't like it. Okay, I couldn't remember if it was you hadn't seen it or what. Um, However, I do understand why they are on this list. Yes, because this is one of the duos I was talking about earlier. Of you've got Batman and Robin for TV, you've got Mulder and Scully. 
but I would think the modern equivalent of a big duo is Walt and Jesse. You very rarely see one without the other. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I think it's interesting that the dynamic is different from all of the other ones on this list in that it is like teacher and student in very, a very much accurate way, but even in not just in the school, but in like the meth business. But at some point, it never feels like Jesse truly outgrows his teacher. Which I'm trying to remember because it's been so long. Um, does Walt come to Jesse or did Jesse come to Walt? I don't remember at Because all, that could dude. really change things because if Jesse came to Walt, that's huge because Jesse's the one that eventually wants to get out as soon as he realizes what Walt becomes. Yes. Which so I, don't, I don't know, dude. I always liked the character of Jesse more than I liked Walt, just because you knew what Walt's endgame was, so to speak, whereas Jesse, you still had that little sliver of hope of maybe he can get himself out of this. Yeah. Maybe he whereas, can turn yeah, things and Jesse, Je- Yeah, Jesse always felt to me like he was just a product of a bad town. He was looking for a way out, and this is what he thought it was the answer. But then also there's one moment in particular in the show that like if you had any form of you cared more about Walt than Jesse, that immediately gets changed when you find out what happened to Jesse's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. In which case you're just like, oh, nope, uh, Jesse better win at the end of this type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but a pairing that I know for a fact both of us have seen and we can freely discuss uh, a recent addition Includes a character that, I'll be honest, I loathed with a fiery passion when he was first introduced into Netflix's hit series, Stranger Things, Steve Harrington. I hated Steve so much. Oh, dude, I think think that's the best part is you're supposed to despise him. And then out of nowhere, about midway through the season, all of a sudden him and Dustin become best friends. And And like... It's you just like start to love it, dude. Like, way to I I will always. First of all, I always praise the, that show in general for how it treats its characters. But the way that they have they took Steve, who in the first half of the first season is the most unlikable character I have ever met, hmm. and then, uh, for me, yes, because he's that high school like douchey guy and i can't stand those kinds of people i loathe those kinds of people um and he came comes off as kind of a misogynist as well and that like really makes me mad as well um but he like this this the flip of the switch where he becomes mama steve (laughs) i love his line it's just like i was a bad boyfriend but it turns out i was a pretty good mom (laughs) and i think I think their their relationship takes another level. It goes to another level in, in, in the beginning of season two when when uh, he's like Henderson, you're back. And no, then, like, season three all... at the ice cream shop, dude. That's to so me when good. I knew I was gonna like season three. Yes, you hang out with little kids. Yeah. <laughs> how many? How many are there? <laughs> Oh, but, man. like, Good Steve stuff. was the ultimate example of, like, how you face turn a character from ultimately despised yeah. to, like, alt 
like great fan favorite and then couple that with Dustin who is already a fan favorite and you have this remarkable pairing that's just so much fun to watch I think the most sweet moment for me is when he's teaching Dustin how to take care of his hair yep it's, end, uh, that was end of season I think it's season one yeah I think that might have been season one because that ended with the dance I think Yes, and he goes, and he's got his hair all up, what and whatnot. And he's all by himself. Yes. Oh man, that was, that was good. That, that, see, that to me, that and I understand it's the end of a, end of the season, so it's gonna be nice and sweet and have that feel good moment right before the big reveal. Um, but uh, to me, that's like the pinnacle, and even still, between between the three seasons, I feel like that's still the pinnacle moment between him and Steve. Very true. Now, I have one more that I hadn't told Josh ahead of time just because I always like to surprise him with one more. Uh, oh, is it Supernatural? But, no. <laughs> Never will be, ever. And also, this wasn't on my list for a while, but I was just like, there's there's something that I haven't really given enough credit to the show as of late, considering how often we rave about it. Um, we just talked about Steve, which is a good segue because Steve, to me, is one of the greatest face turns in any TV show. But he's not the the greatest. To me, the greatest face turn in any show ever from absolute despise, despicable, I hate this character, to you are one of the greatest characters in television history is thanks in no small part to the character that he was paired with. And I have, of course, referring to... Prince Zuko and Uncle yeah. Iroh. I knew it. I knew it. Oh, <laughs> of as soon as you started, I was like, okay, I, yep, I know where this is going. I knew who, what character you were talking about. I was just trying to make sure who you were going to pair him with. But like, I was just like, we haven't talked about Avatar The Last Airbender in a while, and I love Zuko, but who is Zuko paired with more often than not that we could have on this list? Oh, yeah, the second best character second on the best. show, Uncle Iroh. <laughs> <laughs> Which, when we did our five good things about the last Airbender movie, we made sure to point out that one of the few good things about the terrible movie was the guy playing Iroh. He was at oh, least pretty spot on from the show. Spot on. But it, it's definitely, I think, the relationship between them and watching that grow is outside of, you know, because you start, a, start it with Zuko is this bitter, angry prince, and like Iroh is literally acting like the dad that he's never had and and that he just wants the best for him and doesn't want him to go about so life so angry and and then you understand why and there's oh man yeah once you find oh, out why zuko is the way he is you still kind of hate him but your heart starts to soften for him and then over mm-hmm. time like i said he zuko is the prime example of how to turn a villain into a beloved babyface character for to use wrestling oh, terminology. And I'll be honest, oh, and- Iroh was never a bad guy to me. Even as a kid, I oh, saw no. the Fire Nation are bad, except for Uncle Iroh. He's wise and good. Yeah. I think that was always the thing for me. It was I was always confused as to why Iroh was on you know the 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 bad guys team and and, and ultimately that's that's attributed to the show because it shows that no, no team is you know there's it's not always bad guys versus good guys which without Sometimes, spoiling it for you because i want you to see it 
they kind of have a similar approach in Jojo Rabbit of, yes, they're Nazis, but there's one or two men that are unfortunately just following orders and they deep down are already questioning why are we doing what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But Uncle Iroh, to me, if I had to compare it to anything, it's like if Yoda worked for the Empire but didn't ever do anything. Yes. Well, I mean, obviously, when we find out why later, it's because he's part of the White Lotus, but that's not, you know, neither here nor there. Um, (laughs) Glasses further up face. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, dude, it's, uh, I I can't believe we, we didn't, like, okay, yeah, you were trying to surprise me with it, but... But anyway. I think if we're talking about Zuko and Iroh, we obviously have to talk about that scene where it was, um, I think it was Iroh that was in prison. But the way that they shot the scene, Iroh is like the sun is coming down on his face and the way they shoot it almost looks like Zuko's the one in the prison and in the darkness. Yes, it's, um, I think that's season three. That's like just before the turn for for Zuko. If yes. I remember right. And it's I, it's been ages since I watched the show. Yeah. But Heather yeah. brought me it Which on the whole series on Blu-ray, so I gotta go back and watch it at some point because I forget how good the show is. Yes. Uh what's interesting to me is you saying it's shot in a way when it's a cartoon and they've it's all drawn that way. <laughs> but it's an intentional choice to draw it that way. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And there's a lot of things that, that work that, that they do that with as well. We've said it a thousand times, but we'll say it a thousand more, but that's the part of the beauty of the last airbender was yes, it was a quote unquote kids show, but you would have these like characters like Ira who are not evil on an evil side. You would have these complex themes and elements that would really make kids think without beating them over the head of this is what you need to think, or this is what's right. And this is what's wrong. And even when you go back and later and you see like how it's animated to be more metaphoric and it's themes, it's just excellently done. Yes, absolutely. And they're by far the best duo. We probably could have done like Zuko and Aang. And I thought about maybe like Aang and Katara, but I always think Aang, Katara, and Sokka, like as a grouping, not so much a duo. Well, see, if you're going to do that, then you got to do either Sokka and Toph or Sokka and Appa. Toph and King (laughs) Boomy. No. uh, No, that's Aang Aang and King Boom. Appa and Momo. Yeah. There's so many good duos in that show, so you can't really... <laughs> yep. Um, Sokka and his boomerang. <laughs> Sokka oh, no, and No, the greatest juice. duo in Last Airbender. The guy with the cart and his cabbages. No, not the cabbages. My cabbages. <laughs> oh, man. You got any other ones before we bring this thing home? No. I mean, I've been joking about supernatural but as much as i know people that love the show um and dean on his own is a good character sam on his own is a good character but i just i i I don't feel and they've got decent chemistry but you know there's no no real oomph to the show other than oh these two guys are kind of attractive well any show would be burnt out out of their creative juice after 15 years yes isn't that right Grey's anatomy 
Oh, oh goodness. Or ER. Or any crap. All right, so uh, let's wrap it up. <laughs> Before we start just crapping all over shows. Yes, curse modern TV. All right, yes. well, what are some of your favorite TV duos? Let us know in the comments below. We always like hearing from you guys. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether that's Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast, or YouTube. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on the main YouTube channel at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.